0: The autumn we signed the lease on the Sullivan's Island Beach Cottage near Charleston was the seventh autumn Stuart and I had been together. And over the course of those dispiriting years, I had watched him go through a metamorphosis. Oblivious to his own indoctrination, unaware he was being trained in the art of satisfying a neurotic, he joined me in the worst of my habits. He believed he was expanding as an individual moving in a broad arc as an enlightened man toward a richer interpretation of life. He believed this fiction is a direct result of his relationship with me, for I was an expert liar. Notions of leaving his work at Boston University and starting a consulting business of his own, of living on a remote island near Charleston, South Carolina, of not working a regular job, Stewart thought he had come to these brave decisions alone. He never made the connection between the subtlety of suggestion on my part with the blossoming of an unorthodox idea in his own head. He always had to talk me into the latest outrageous scheme, be it selling the house full of antiques his grandmother had left him so we could quit our jobs and move south, or giving up his tenured position as a professor to try something less dull and predictable, or borrowing money indiscriminately to support a failing business effort. I had to say no to each of his proposals a good long time before finally giving in. Stuart was required to fight to get his way. This was necessary so that blame could be affixed upon him and not me, should an idea turn sour later on. Unlike my first husband, who told me after eight months he could no longer deal with my intense need to live on the edge, Stuart made a splendid foil. He was the product of a mother whose most daring deed was to bake a chocolate souffle from a recipe she had concocted herself, and a father who devoted his entire career to the hometown savings and loan, all very stable and safe. It was I who presented Stuart with a kaleidoscope on life, I, who interfered with his predestination of becoming the youngest dean of the English department at Boston University by inflaming his mind with stories of my own free-spirited parents and their lifelong war with the commonplace. But my stories were not altogether true. They concealed the real character of those two irresponsible fools who left me as a helpless child to live out my life hampered by emotional wounds inflicted by them. It was not possible for Stuart to understand these origins of my neuroses, though he believed he could. In fact, he spent inordinate amounts of energy playing therapist lover to me, but my problems were too complicated for armchair psychology. Moreover, Stuart did not realize the danger to himself of involvement in my certain downslide. He did not know he was contributing to his own destruction as he joined me in mine. His entanglement in the unfair dynamics of a relationship with a half-sick woman soon became permanent. Only once. I think it had to do with the sale of his grandmother's furniture. Did he look me in the eyes and say he felt he was being controlled in sly ways, but could never pinpoint how or when? He declared me a master manipulator, yet he did not know I had been accused of the same thing by everyone I'd ever been close to, including, most recently, the elderly clients to whom I had sold writing projects when we first moved to Charleston. I discovered early on that old Charlestonians compete with each other fiercely in every area of their lives, and on their peninsula of extravagance and wealth, the stakes could be exceedingly high. I used all my powers as psychological seductress to make myself irresistible to these southern innocents so ignorant of neurotic duality. I made myself a bauble they could brag about over cocktails, a new curiosity, a fad, an expensive diversion. After all, few people anywhere were important enough to have need of a professional ghostwriter. But how far my game would go, I could not guess. How many players would finally die, I could not predict. For the pawns were ignorant of the rules, and I was careful not to let them learn there was really only one requirement to keep the game in motion the necessity of proving again and again that even a child of a father like mine could accomplish incredible things, of which surviving Charleston was the most incredible of all.